I woke up with a fully formed idea for my first five years at about six o'clock in the morning. By 10 o'clock, I was like, I'm doing this. Meet Jenny Johnson, MBE. Jenny is an entrepreneur who founded the children's nursery chain, Kids Aloud. She sold that business in 2019 and is now the co-founder of My First Five Years. It's an app that gives parents the information they need and takes some of the stress out of parenting. I've wanted Jenny on the podcast for a long time because, as you can hear, when Jenny has a good idea, she really goes for it. I wanted to know, how does she go from having a eureka moment on the train to growing that idea into a multi-million pound business? How important is workplace culture to her? And how do you know when it's time to move on? You're going to hear about all of that and more in this episode. I'm Lisa Morton, and this is We Built This City. Jenny, welcome to We Built This City. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. I've admired you for a long time because I remember when I was bringing my two kids up and struggling with all the challenges of running a business. Mm-hmm. I saw what you did with um, Kids Aloud and I, and I just thought that's amazing because obviously you're a working mum yourself. Mm-hmm. And also I'm doubly honoured that you're joining us because I'm proud that you've chosen our sister company, Purposeful Podcast, to produce your um, amazing podcast that has been shortlisted for a British Podcasting Award. Which apparently is a big deal. It's a big deal, it really is, and it's amazing. So I'm really chuffed for you, and we'll we'll talk about that business shortly. But first of all, you're a Salfordian, as am am I. So um, can you tell me a little bit about your own first five years and what it was like growing up in Greater Manchester? I can. However, my first five years were down Stoneclough in Farmworth. Oh, right. Uh, So we moved to Salford when I was about nine. Um, And all I really remember about my childhood is being out on my bike. I think we just, you know, from morning, noon and night, me and my brother were just out on our bike and we're allowed to be Mm. you know we did have rules about when we needed to be home which was usually something to do with the light whether it was still (laughs) light outside or not but yeah just a really simple joyful time is how I remember it I also remember uh, cycling at pace around the corner into another cyclist coming the other way and having one of the worst sort of accidents and head bumps that I still remember to this day but yeah full of bruises and cuts and scrapes but that was what I remember about my early childhood so true that wasn't it you were just same with, with us in Salford I also had a terrible um chopper injury I went through my Uncle Arthur's privets and I Ouch. put my teeth through my lip which was not very pleasant but we just used to go out in the morning in the summer holidays and come back at night when yeah. it, you know for your tea yeah no no cycle helmets <laughs> no <laughs> no phones to check in where we were no be, no being tracked just off out going and having some fun yeah, it was, they were great days, weren't they? And so, and we found out actually that we live pretty close together. Yeah. Um, so I lived in Pendlebury and you on the Earl of the Heights. Yep. So, and we should have gone to the same, well, I went to Eccles College and you should have gone there. So what happened? Because you, you left school at 16, did you? Yeah, and it's funny because when I was at school, so I went to one of the local comps, I think it was called St. Lawrence's in Salford, and I never felt like I was one of the smart kids, really didn't. Um, just sort of coasted through school, expected to get extremely average grades. And when I went in to collect my grades, I'd done really well. Now, really well is totally different than what it is these days. That doesn't mean I got all A stars or nines or whatever it is now. I think I got one a um a couple of b's and the rest were c's but in our school that was really quite something and i was treated like somebody that had a few brains about them I was like oh i didn't know this about
about myself. And I was meant to go on to Eccles College. That's where I decided I was going. And I can't remember what subjects I was going to do. But over the summer holidays, I went to work at my dad's business in the post room. And my job was simply opening the post and distributing the post. And then everyone that had post to send, because there's no emails back in the day. This is how old I am. <laughs> uh, they'd send all the post back to the post room. And I had to weigh it and put the right postage on and take it to the post office. And I just loved it. I just loved being in an environment where I was surrounded by adults and everybody seemed, you know, pleasant and polite. And I guess at school I'd had a bit of a hard time because I wasn't one of the sheep that did everything that was expected of me. I was a bit of a loner, a bit of a one-off. So I just thought, you know what, I'm enjoying this. And I don't think I particularly enjoy learning. I found out as an adult that I'm highly likely, I'm sort of about to hopefully, not hopefully, but about to be diagnosed with ADHD at 51. And that will have had something to do with why I didn't particularly enjoy school because I won't have fitted into that traditional way of learning and I think when I went into a work environment and I was doing as opposed to being told that was how I learned and I just decided college wasn't for me I remember my mum being devastated because she thought I might have been the first one to go to university <laughs> in the family but that wasn't my journey so I ended what? up going to work and staying in work so what was your dad's business? My dad's business was IT, so he was writing accounting software. And he often says he could have been the sage of the accounting world, but made a few mistakes along the way. So, yeah, I mean, that business went through all sorts of fun and drama. But I uh, joined it at 16 and uh, sort of worked my way up through that business over a number of years. And turned out that I was really good at sales and really good at, you know, going out and meeting people and um, implementing solutions in big businesses and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I went on a really interesting unexpected journey I've never known what I've wanted to be as a grown-up still don't <laughs> <laughs> no I, I know the feeling I worked for my dad too after and I went to uni and then there were no jobs really so I, I worked for him for a few months um but and he made me do the photocopying like you say there were no the emails was nothing answering no. the phone on the tannoy and the, the, the <laughs> he had an engineering business in Salford uh -huh. but we rowed it didn't work out I mean it was very difficult and uh -huh. I'd soon realised that I wanted to not work in a family business <laughs> as do my kids now I think you learn like you say you learn a lot because in those days there was no bells and whistles were there it was just graft no, and just you graft, had to hitting the phones and grafting exactly yeah. and making friends and relationships and stuff yeah so um so you worked for your dad for a few years what did mm -hmm. you do then before you started your business Kids Aloud Kids Aloud I was working for a games company and um I was trying to um get back to working full-time after being on my second maternity leave again a bit of a sad story but my mum passed away when I was eight and a half months pregnant with my second one and I think had she not passed away you know the plan was that my mum was going to be very involved and help with everything and I probably would have never needed to particularly even look at childcare. but because of the circumstance um I Myself and my ex-husband went looking for childcare for uh, our second child and we went to loads of different nurseries in Salford and there wasn't a single one that we would have been happy to leave her with. And it was a bit of a eye-opener really. And at the time that didn't give me the inspiration for Kids Aloud. It just was that I wasn't going to put her in a nursery. So tried to make do amend with friends and family. Um, and that doesn't really work either because what I was trying to do was get back to a full-time career where I needed to focus and I needed to graft and I needed to not be worried about all the other things that were going on once I'd got into work. And I was finding I was really distracted and one of the people helping me with my childcare was my gran, no longer with us. But I adored my gran and she had 
adored me, but she didn't really get why I needed to work and didn't get the importance of the day that she was looking after Jasmine that it needed to happen because I needed to get to work. And yeah, she was a bit of a bugger for ringing and cancelling in the morning <laughs> and telling me she wasn't quite feeling up to it. And I'd always be nice to my gran because I was brought up well. But um, yeah, that could that could be challenging and it was a grand call um where my childcare went awry that that prompted me to have this sort of do you know what do you know what I really need for my life to work I need really good childcare and I had that inspiration on the back of my grand calling and me nearly missing a train to London because of it oh really yeah so you were going to London your grandma was supposed to be having your children yeah got the call the dreaded call oh, no. and my morning went tits up a bit like this morning's went tits up but for a completely different reason <laughs> that we were talking about earlier um, but yeah, sometimes plans go awry in the morning and this particular set of plans going awry became the inspiration for Kids Allowed. And in, and how did you how did you come up with that? I mean, you had that, you were on a train journey, weren't mm-hmm. you, to London, so yep. you nearly missed a train and then you, what did you do? Did you just spend that journey deciding that you needed to come up with a solution there's there's a mat somewhere that exists and I, I put it somewhere so safe that I just cannot find it anymore but I sat there with a paper and pen and just started listing the things that if I could find a childcare provider that could do this 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 and this wouldn't it be amazing and then I had the I could do that and I do just want to qualify it with one thing because I know that um, people that run childcare businesses are real hard workers I mean it's not an easy thing to do me saying there was no nursery in Salford I'd have left my child at was 20 odd years ago you know things have changed things have improved but back then genuinely I went and looked at them all and there wasn't one so yeah I'm delighted to say that the market has improved massively and there are lots of passionate owners out there doing amazing things in childcare now I'd like to think I inspired some of them to give them a bit of a kick up the bum I've no doubt because as I say you know that that was a similar situation for me and I had that 22 months between my two and Mm -hmm. and I ended up having to get a nanny because Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure I couldn't find a solution yeah um, and there was a nursery on the corner of our road, and I kind of, when I heard sometimes, you know, kind of the, you know, the young women who were working there, they, mm-hmm. they hated what they were doing. So I yeah. thought, I don't want them to be hating my kid. Yeah. And it was very, very difficult. I mean, but you said you're going to come up with some a solution for yourself, but then you came up with solution. With, I mean, how many kids over? Yeah, I mean, by years time you had through there, I, I grew the business over almost twenty years, yeah. and by the time I um, sold the business, we were looking after over two thousand children a week, and we had five hundred colleagues. And the thing I'm proudest of you you were talking about a lot of people that that work in you know sectors that are really difficult can go into work and not particularly enjoy their day we focused on creating an environment where people could flourish so my job as the chief exec of that business was to listen to the colleagues and say what can I do to make this an amazing place to work so that you can be the exceptional version of yourself and you can deliver an exceptional service to our customers our customers being the parents and the children and um I just got a massive buzz out of that of listening to the colleagues who have all the ideas they know what they need to to, to do a great job and then creating an environment where they could do that so we had really happy colleagues I'm not saying a hundred percent of all the colleagues all the time were happy but you know we used to run net promoter scores regularly for colleagues and customers and the feedback we got was exceptionally it was in the sort of world-class bracket of, of performance and I just got a massive buzz out of that. So you kind of focused I mean like you say without having very happy and engaged um, colleagues mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to deliver the service and, and the care for the for the children are you? Exactly yeah. and for me that just made a lot of sense and bear in mind I left school at 16 I, w- I was going to say I don't read books I don't mean I can't read <laughs> but I mean I'm not a reader it's yeah. not how I sort of take my knowledge and it is from sort of putting my head up, looking at who's doing things that, that 
that look great and trying to have a coffee with them and ask them how they do it and how they go about it. And I really sort of put myself out there to, to listen to inspiring businesses, how they were doing the bits that I looked at and thought, they're exceptional at this bit and they seem to be exceptional at that bit and going and listening and then trying to pull those lessons into my own business. Mm. Um, and I, over the years, I had massive imposter syndrome of like, who am I to be doing this? And I can't do this and I need to employ somebody that can do this, this and this. But actually, a lot of it ultimately is common sense and wanting to create a dignified environment for people and caring about people. And I think once you get over the fact that I'm not qualified, I left school at 16, am I really the right person to be doing this? Once you start to believe in yourself a bit and use that common sense and then start that feedback loop of what you're doing well and what you need to learn from. Um, I just, in the end, really love running that sort of business, that sort of service business where you're getting people to come on a journey with you to share the same passions and and to really want to do a great day's work. Mm. It's exciting. You're still excited about it now, I can tell, aren't you? I know, I know. I was listening to a podcast that you were on a while ago and you talk about five-star service and Mm -hmm. I think that was the first time, you know, as you say, when we had our kids, there were no five-star service nurseries around. Mm -hmm. What made you think about that and to apply that five-star service into into a nursery? And then also educate your colleagues to understand what that that was yeah I guess ultimately when it is your child you want them to have the best day possible if you're going to go to work or whatever it is you're going to go and do that day and you've chose to leave your child with a child care provider of whatever sort whether that be a nanny or a childminder or a nursery you want to know that your child's going to have an exceptional day so for me that's you want them to have a five-star experience so what does that look like? You know, what does that look like for a child? And we even did things like we got down on the floor to see what a child sees. We got down at their eye level to see what they could see. And even just doing that, mm. trying to think like a child, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, is it? To try and think like a three-year-old <laughs> or a four-year-old. But if you just get down at your level and look and it's like, oh yeah, if we move that, then they can see out the window better. Or if we do this or we do that, or yeah, that thing that they all want to play with, they can't quite reach it. But if we bring it down here, they can and they'll be able to get it for themselves. It's it's just paying attention to the detail. I was quite obsessed with paying attention to the detail. And um, I had this mantra, one of the values of the business was getting better every day. And it was just those little things that, you know, not the big gestures, but the little things about what can we do in this room today that was better than we did yesterday. And then the next day, build on that and build on that. And I think that's where you're striving for excellence comes from Mm. and I think you apply that to your life don't you it strikes me that that's kind of your mantra although (laughs) I have to say over the years my personal health and well-being is probably the thing that's always took the back seat Um, and it's crazy It, it really is a poor decision because if we're going to go out there and slay the dragon we need to be fit and well to do it and I've probably for the last three or four years really began to focus a little bit on myself and I'm on a I'm on a journey with that I'm not by any means the finished article but recognizing there's loads of little mantras out there isn't there like you know put your own um mm. mask on yeah. what what, what yeah. do they say in the airlines put it's, your own put yeah. your mask on first because because unless you can breathe you can't help anybody else yeah. can you yeah but you're right we don't and women in particular don't I don't think I think we're buggers for it absolutely yeah. you know especially if we've got kids and all this sort of stuff you know the kids come first and we're trying to balance 
balance work and kids and being a good wife, being a good friend, whatever all these different things are that we think we need to do. And I, I was talking to someone just yesterday, actually, about all the plates that we, we're spinning. And sometimes some of the plates are really heavy. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're heavy. And sometimes I feel that we need to just accept that we can't be spinning all these plates. I have three or four plates that I'm constantly trying to spin. And they're never all going well at the same time. They're never all going badly at the same time, <laughs> thankfully, because I think that would just see yeah. me rocking in the corner. But I'm beginning to understand, like, this plate feels really heavy today. What can I do to help with this plate over here? But also celebrate the fact that that plate over there is doing all right right now. Mm. And all of this is about our mental well-being and, and talking nicely to ourselves and, you know, trying to be authentic and honest. And I think I'm becoming more vulnerable as part of this, as, as being really honest about it's hard, I'm worried about this today, not putting out that I'm this sort of perfect, strong person. I'm actually just like everybody else. When I get home, I leave the CEO and the MBA mm. bit at the door mm. and I'm a mum that's rowing with my middle child or whatever it might be, you know, <laughs> that <laughs> being told that I'm shit at this or I'm not doing this right. It's, we just people yeah. aren't we and yeah. we're, we're having different struggles we're all out there having our own struggles but we're all having struggles I think I've never met a woman that's honest that's not having struggles and if I sit with a woman that tells me everything's going well I know she's probably having a terrible time and just can't admit it to herself very true and I think it's asking and being vulnerable and you can ask for help then can't you yeah There's a massive amount of guilt, isn't there, about having a career and, and having children. Did you struggle with that? Because you, ironically, you set up a business to provide much, so you knew your kids were going to go into a great environment, but mm -hmm. you must have seen a lot of guilt. And you, did you feel that yourself when you were in those kind of, you know, childhood years? Oof. Yeah, I think when we work as hard as we work, and you're right, this isn't just a mum thing or a, or a woman thing, this is a, a, a parent thing. It is trying to balance um all the demands on your time and the truth is we we can't we can't we do have it all but we can't really have it all everything's not going to be perfect and rosy when we when we're trying to have it all there's going to be things that are going well like I've just said earlier and things that you've got challenges with but I have often felt am I a good role model to my girls because I've got all girls three girls am I a good role model or a terrible <laughs> role model and actually most people I meet say you you you're a good role model to your girls. You know, what you're role modeling to your girls is that you're getting out there, you're doing your thing, you're an authentic owner, you, you, you lead a business with, you know, honesty and authenticity and you look after your colleagues and, you know, you then come home and the kids will see you trying to do your best for them and, you know, what's for tea tonight is the usual <laughs> word when I get through the door and, you know, yeah, what is for, for tea tonight? And I went through a phase of being Deliveroo's best customer, obviously, <laughs> but then you realise that's not good, that's not healthy, let's work at, you know, a bit of fresh fresh food in the house and, and again, that's about beating ourselves up, isn't it? I mean, I was putting food on the table of one sort or another, but yeah, no, let's raise your game Jenny Deliveroo stop with the Deliveroo start with the fresh this the fresh that and the kids are brilliant at putting a mirror up and saying hey mum we're not having Deliveroo again are we <laughs> you know so yeah it's hard I do my best um on the whole I think I've been a good role model to them but I do worry about that I do worry about whether I've created this sort of thing for them do they aspire to be like me or do they think I definitely don't want to be mm. like my mum and on a good day they say I'm an inspiration and on a bad day I'm the worst mum in the world so mm. I can relate to that because um I think 
my kids have also seen me working all hours. Yeah. Although to be fair, I have my own business, I was able to create space and make sure I didn't miss the, the important the things. Important things. And yeah. that's what I make sure that anybody in our team mm-hmm. um over the years never has to miss a nativity play or something yeah. special it's really important to me we had the same mantra at kids allowed it was like come on guys you know we're looking after other people's children but we also want to be there for our own children yeah. so make sure that you know the sports days the christmas concerts whatever the, they might be the big important stuff you want to be in that audience Absolutely. you don't want to miss it no it's, it's sacred isn't it family yeah. time um we're just talking about some values there and possibly how your daughters see you and i we have obviously a set of values at Roland Transfer which are very important to us and have been for many years now. And it was interesting because I was looking at some of the stuff that you had, um, I think, on LinkedIn. And one mm-hmm. of our values is admit it, fix it, move on. Yeah. Which is not a cop out when you make mm-hmm. a mistake. But, you know, the fact is that, like you say, be vulnerable, own up and mm-hmm. let's just figure out how we can make it better. Yeah. And I noticed on your LinkedIn, you said that there's only thing, there's only three things you should do if you make a mistake. One, admit it, two, learn from it and three, don't do it again. Um, is that really true? Is it possible that you, when you do that, you never do it again? I was going to say <laughs> on reflection, why did I say the third? Because if I look at my own life, I seem to repeat mistakes over and over again. But um, no, I think that was in the context of, of a business. I think we tried to create an environment, at, um, bear in mind that we were looking after children. And for me to create safeguard is a big word in childcare, rightly so. But what you have to do is create an environment where people will own up to mistakes. If you create an environment where people will make a mistake and think, if anybody finds out about that, I'm going to lose my job. Um, that's crazy because they're going to hide mistakes and those are very dangerous mistakes then. So we did, um, in the context of running a childcare group, try to make it really easy for people to say, this went wrong today so that we could then look at why did it go wrong? Was it an individual thing? Was it, you know, you've had all your training and the policies are right and you just didn't do it? Or is it actually just fundamentally that what we're expecting of people isn't right or there's a flaw that we need to learn from? So I genuinely think we had this environment linking into that other uh, value of getting better every day, Mm. which is recognising that we come into work as human beings which means we we will make the odd mistake along the way um we can't expect perfection from colleagues we can aspire to excellence that's for me completely different but part of that is creating an environment where we learn together and in the early days we used to have sort of disciplinary processes where someone would make a mistake and you'd be invited to a disciplinary to discuss it and it's like why am I doing that that's creating a culture of fear um let's have what we call a professional conversation let's say you know what what happened what can we learn from it and and it is a conversation and it's almost off the record it's not part of disciplinary it's off the record and hardly I can't really think of a single situation where somebody came in to be a bit of a bugger that day and actually do something intentionally wrong people come in and make mistakes and in childcare there can be big serious mistakes but you still have to be able to sit and learn and be truthful about them I think that makes it such an open working culture doesn't it as well yeah. that you can share your mistakes and you can learn together so you're all on that journey together yeah. and as it well. makes it a safe culture because if yeah. you create a culture of fear where people are expected to be perfect and can't own up to the mistakes then you start to hide mistakes and for me that 
that's dangerous and that's where people start to that's where safeguarding becomes a massive issue mm. so yeah I used to love that culture of openness and learning and we have that now in um, the new business my first five years is not we're not looking after physical children so I, I sleep a lot easier at night well, because I'm not responsible <laughs> yeah. I didn't I don't no. think I slept properly for years when I ran a childcare company because the the responsibility was so mm. big um, but when you're running an app it's just different it's a different set of responsibilities and but the same same thing about you know we made a mistake a little while ago where we we did a version that had a bug in it that was quite a big bug that will have affected sales for a couple of weeks while we because we didn't realize it was out there because we tested it thought it was right and then a couple of weeks after somebody was like is your product meant to do this because it's really irritating it's like no it's not meant to do that and then of course we take the steps duplicate the problem ah first thing is nobody died it's kind of a mm. bit of a mantra I've got nobody died so come on we, we can fix this and then it's like right what can we learn and I think people were quite surprised that nobody got bollocked for it you know but what's the point <laughs> yeah. people will start to cover up their mistakes mm. if we start to be aggressive about it. it's like no I know you all come in to do a good day's work what happened? What did we miss? What can we put in place to hopefully mean that this doesn't happen again? But we will do another release with a bug in it that we've missed. So yeah, I think the flaw in what I wrote there, if we're owning up to our mistakes, <laughs> is that we don't repeat our mistakes. We try not to repeat. Yeah. You know, and I think if I did have a thing with people that would repeatedly do the same thing, to me that then becomes a matter of are you are you the right person mm. for this job? Mm. Um, but in life, don't we repeat our mistakes over and over again? <laughs> So what led you to sell Kids Aloud and was it that or did it take its toll? It did take its toll. I was never going to sell Kids Aloud. If you speak to the colleagues and, for example, I had a, a managing director that was running the day-to-day -day for me, um, the plan was that I'd become more and more hands-off and, and that I put this amazing team in place and that we'd just run it for the rest of forever. Um, but what I realised was that I couldn't switch off from that business, even with amazing people in place, ultimately my name was still over the door that was having 2,000 children walk through the door every day that needed to go home safe and well. And there are so many moving parts to running a childcare business that you just cannot switch off. I couldn't switch off anyway. But if I speak to most owners in the sector, they're exactly the same. You go on holiday, something will happen. You know, it's almost as if somebody's waiting for something to happen for you to get on holiday yeah. and, you know, ruin your holiday or whatever. Um, but I think the thing that tipped me, well, I know the thing that tipped me over the edge was that our regulators in the sector haven't got the best reputation um, Ofsted mm -hmm. and we just found them really difficult to deal with in the end we found them to be a little bit unfair a little bit unjust a little bit judgy and I know it's their job to judge and you know give these one word critiques to the standard of your childcare. and then there was no sort of comeback or challenge after and we within the space of a week I think had three Ofsteds and by the call of the third one, I was like, I'm done. I'm living under this immense amount of pressure. And I just don't think I can carry on. I think you're going to find me rocking in the corner if I try. And I think that was a Wednesday that I had that I'm done revelation. And by Friday, I'd had a meeting with the company that sells businesses in our sector. And by Monday, we were ready to ready to go on, on the process of selling. Um, and I know that makes it all sound a bit flippant, but it's just how I work. Just like when I set up Kids Aloud, I had the problem in the morning. 
I nearly missed the train. By the end of the train journey, I'd come up with a list of services, a name. I'd even done a terrible logo. We never used it. <laughs> but um, And by the next day, I'd handed him a notice. And it's kind of just how I work. So quick to start it, grafted at it for 20 years. But when I hit that wall, I knew I'd hit it and it was time to stop. And wow. I'm glad I did. Yeah. It was the right thing. Because so many people kind of go on for years and years and years, don't they? Yeah. Knowing that really they've lost the love. It kind of ties in as well to this other mantra I have about enoughness, because I know if I'd have ran that business for another couple of years, I'd have got significantly more value for the business because we just opened a couple of settings and the way it tends to work in childcare, because we used to open big purpose built settings, so you'd have an empty building mm -hmm. that had the capacity for 200 children and then you give yourselves about 18 months to, to fill it to capacity. So when you first open a new setting, it isn't profitable. So the business wasn't at its most profitable when I sold it, but it was still enough. Mm -hmm. And I, it is the right thing. And actually COVID then hit. So if I had have kept it those extra couple of years, I'd have had to deal with all of that. I was incredibly lucky. People think I had genius timing, and obviously I didn't. It was just a whole set of circumstances that meant that I think I sold the business on, say, a Saturday morning. It was meant to be a Friday night, but it ended up being a Saturday morning. And on the Monday, I came in to start the handover, and I had my first call from a customer about this virus in China. I remember it. Wow. There's this virus in China, and it's starting to be on the news here. What are you doing about it? And I remember coming off the phone thinking what virus in China? Let's go and have a look. And then wow. I thought, actually, I just need to forward this email onto the new owner. Oh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> and nobody had any inclination no. of what was to come at the time. It was just like, oh, what's that? Um, but obviously running a, a childcare company yeah. through COVID will have been incredibly challenging. I know it was because I, I know lots of people still doing it and, you know, keeping it open for key, key workers and, you know, not having your PPE and all the challenges that they had every day. I was just glad I never needed to ride that wave. That's your grand looking over you for letting you down. Just <laughs> <laughs> making up for it. <laughs> so you could have then just like put your feet up, chilled out um, and enjoyed kind of the fruits of your labour, but um, you didn't do that. So no I didn't I did it for a year <laughs> quite enjoyed it but um I think I was either 48 or 49 at that time it's just too young to stop um I had a bit of you know going to the gym and working out and that sort of stuff um but ideas kept popping into my head for you know possible things I could do and typically I'd have a think about them and go nah that's not worth coming out of retirement for that's not inspiring me or it's not a valid you know when I've done a bit of work on it it doesn't really stack up but this idea it popped into my head a year anniversary from selling the business and I remember I woke up with a fully formed idea for for my first five years at about six o'clock in the morning I literally sat <laughs> bolt upright and I was like this to my ex also going oh oh I've got this idea he's like come back to sleep stop being daft and um but I did and I got up and I went in the home office and I started googling and looking at what was going on in the market and by, I don't know, by 10 o'clock, I was like, I'm doing this. Wow. This is, a well, I thought, a brilliant idea. And then um, we're three years in now. I rang the one person I knew I wanted to, if I was going to do this business, there was somebody that I was hoping might come on the journey with me. He's called Alistair Bryce Clegg. He is my co-founder, which means he said yes. <laughs> and um, together, we've set about transforming 
um, the parenting app space and trying to move away from parenting apps that give parents anxiety and give them worries to a parenting app that soothes anxieties and gives parents knowledge and confidence to do a great job. Um, and that's what we're trying to do is sort of take the knowledge we have as people that have worked in early years and help parents understand what really does make children tick and, and the, the way that we can interact with children in that birth to five space to really give them a fantastic start in life. And actually it's relatively straightforward, lots of common sense, all that good stuff again, um, relatively easy to do. And we've tried to create a celebratory approach to parenting in those first five years and bring back some of the joy. God, I wish I had that. A lot of people say that. <laughs> I wish I had it. I think my oldest wishes I had it. Well, we were saying before about the first one being the sacrificial lamb. My sacrificial lamb is here, so he's, he's still alive. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there was so much. I mean, I remember in those early days going to the, the antenate was it, was it the antenatal group and stuff after and they were like, what, how big your baby? Those, is it centiles and how big are they are? And it was so stressful. And you're right, you know, could take away from just the pleasure of, mm -hmm. you know, watching your child develop and spending mm -hmm. those times yeah. with them. So, and just going back to, you talked about Alistair and obviously you've had a working relationship with him when you knew he'd, he'd supported you in different areas, hadn't he, before at Kids Allowed. Mm -hmm. Part of this podcast is, is really digging into those relationships that I think Greater Manchester is famous for yeah. the fact that we do have an amazing network and mm -hmm. if you put good stuff out there when you need someone to support you they're there for you yeah how important would you say those relationships have been to you over your career I think networking is if I look back at all of the key things that happened that I needed to happen in the business it all came from being out there networking and I don't mean networking every single night of the week because again it's that balance isn't yeah. it you know when you're trying to work full-time and still be at home and still be you know the kids still seeing you and stuff but there have been times over the years when I'm like right we're doing a fundraiser at the moment kids I'm going to be out more nights because I need to be out and about in Manchester networking and this that and the other I've worked in my network for 20 years mm. And I do feel now for most things, I'm able to pick up the phone and, and ask for help. But networking for me anyway, isn't about taking, it's about giving as well. So giving of your time, putting your time out there and supporting and helping other people. And it's amazing how it comes back when you need it or when you don't even know you need it sometimes. Um, so yeah, invest in your network, but don't go networking thinking, what do I need? What am I going to take? It's a long game. And it's about just being part of the Manchester scene, I think. And it's amazing over the years how many people you know. And if you don't know them directly, you're probably only one step away from somebody that does. Um, but expect to give back to the network as well as take from it. Yeah, that's such great advice. And, and we say in our team that, you know, if you want to make an ask of somebody, make sure you've delivered more value to that person than mm -hmm. you've, you know, so it's like the bank account, isn't it? Make yeah. sure you're always in credit. Yeah. But I think the city is a very generous, city region is a very generous place. Absolutely. If I look at um, getting my first five years off the ground, it's primarily been done by 
the great and good of Manchester, you know what I mean? It's people that have done well in Manchester that want to put back yeah. in. And we, round our cap table, we've got lots of Manchester entrepreneurs. And obviously I've put some money in from my exit into this new business mm-hmm. as well. But it's brilliant that I've been able to pick up the phone and say, I'm doing this, can I come and talk to you about it? And and many people have put their hand in the pocket to support what we're doing. Yeah, the door seems to be always open, doesn't it? I know you've got this WhatsApp group that you've got a load of female kind of business leaders in. Mm -hmm. Um, So how important is that to you? Because I've heard you speak about the fact that you can be completely vulnerable, open, say whatever you want without fear of being judged in that. So is that support really important for you? I think it is. And again, it's it's um, giving as well as taking from yeah. that group. So there's, a, I can't remember how many of us are in that group and we might all be going away for a weekend soon, which would be really nice if we pull it off. Although it is a bit like herding cats. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if it doesn't happen. But um, I think with technology now, you know, to be able to, at 10 o'clock at night, hit a block and be able to post a question and say, has anybody else had this issue? And there's probably still somebody worrying about their own business (laughs) (laughs) that might be able to help you. Um, It's brilliant. And most of us will have been there, done it, hit the block, found a solution. Um, And it's just that sharing. And also, because there's a few of us in the group, you don't just get one answer. You get, well, I did this, or I tried this, or what about that, or this worked for me. Um, It's priceless. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think running a business can be a very lonely place. It is. Um, I think I became less lonely after COVID, during COVID, because that was the first time that I thought, I can't be expected to have the answers for this because yeah. I've, no one's got a toolkit for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and by sharing that vulnerability, even with the team, they came forward, no matter how much or little experience they had to say, well, what about this? And what about that? Mm-hmm. So I think once you are okay with not having all the answers you know you often get some back yeah I agree with Mm. you completely on that I just wanted to talk to you about your view of opportunities for young people Mm -hmm. in in Greater Manchester last year we did a piece of work with Manchester City Council called our year 2022 Mm -hmm. it was driven by Bev Craig and John Roney so the um, leader and the CEO of the City Council about making sure that we create more opportunities for the young people of Greater Manchester as we build back after COVID. And some of the research that we did in that in that period of time showed that a huge amount of young people from Greater Manchester didn't feel that there was even space for them here, particularly in the city. Yeah. Uh, they don't, don't belong here and there, are, there can be just a mile down the road and yet they wouldn't even imagine that there was any possibilities here for them. So Crazy, isn't it? It is, but we're still a long way from... You know, we're very progressive, of course, and in terms of Greater Manchester, but you can still go into, say, a professional services firm and everybody looks the same, speaks the same, is from the same background. What are your views on that and, and how do you feel that we can, you know, create a better future for, you know, more young people in Greater Manchester? I think it is highly problematic and also crazy that it's not fixed when you look at the areas that surround greater manchester with a you know a bus stop or two bus stops away you've got fantastic employment opportunities for everybody and anybody you know especially with the rise of apprenticeships there is an opportunity for people to join these professional service companies but then if i look at their recruitment practices they're just not aligned to find talent based on values it's still massively focused on the ability to have the right qualifications or the right a levels or have gone to the right school or all this stuff that just shouldn't matter and you know i've commented 
directly to the um, senior partners of professional firms that we've used about the lack of diversity around the table and it's acknowledged but what are they doing to fix it I remember speaking at an event I'm not going to name any names here but I spoke at an event and a number of colleagues from that company came but then they also wheeled in a dozen of the people that are doing work experience they were all suited and booted these young boys they were all boys no girls and they were all white and it's like this is greater Manchester how can those dozen people represent the youth that's coming through it just doesn't it's not representative and then you dig a bit deeper and it's such and such his son and such and such his son and it's like nothing's going to change unless we stop doing this or at least we don't give 100% of the places over to such and such a body his son you know at the end of the day I guess when we're, when we've grafted I can pick up the phone and make things happen for my family members and I remember just a, a stark example my brother-in-law was trying to find work placement for his daughter working class background she wants to be an architect he couldn't pull any strings couldn't make it happen um, and he rang me and said Jenny is there any chance you might be able to get I'm not going to name her again but get some work experience um, at an architect and I was like leave it with me and within an hour I'd opened a door for her now she you know needed that door opening she wasn't going to be able to open it herself but not everybody has an auntie Jenny that can do that so how are we going to give young people opportunities in this amazing city of ours and actually get that social mobility really going by opening the doors and and making you know the the schools the secondary schools down the road from here moments walk from here that the kids leaving those schools actually look to Manchester and go I can be anything I want to be there's any opportunity there for me to go into professional services, for me to do whatever they want to do. You know, there's much more to life than professional services. But what <laughs> I'm saying is this great city has every type of opportunity open to every type of child. But there is a disconnect at the moment and the kids don't believe it and the recruitment practices don't support it. And something needs to change. I think that there's some really good work and some big progress being made by the amazing institution like UA92 and their recruitment progress. They're amazing, aren't they? And and how they um, inspire young people who wouldn't imagine that they could go to university. And then you've got um, the the Moulding Foundation who's just put a huge amount of money in there to help young people have bursary places. And I think things like T-Levels and the Manchester Back that Andy Burnham's bringing in, you know, hopefully... Um, that will help to yeah. inspire young people. But I definitely yeah. feel it's about going upstream and helping to yeah. to change the perspectives and the opportunities because you're not, by the time young people get to 16, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's a bit too late, yeah. isn't it? But it really does work as well. If I look at Kids Aloud, for the first few years, we recruited for qualifications. It was like, if you've got a level three, we want to talk to you. And then I had that epiphany of, hang on a minute, it's not about qualifications. I didn't have the qualifications. So why am I looking for qualifications? What it's about is a person's attitude and a person's values and whether they're aligned with the company. And we completely flipped our whole recruitment process to finding brilliant people. And then we set up a training academy so that we could give them the qualifications that they needed to do the job. And bear in mind that Kids Allowed was number one for quality on an independent lead table in the UK for the best quality childcare from a group. It works. So it's not a bleeding heart thing. It's a, it will work. If you improve diversity around your business, you will get new ideas, new ways of thinking, and your business will improve. Well said. (laughs) 
So listen, I'm just going to do a quick fire Manchester round um, with you, Jenny. <laughs> so first of all, in your view, what makes a mank? Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. I think a mank is typically, but not universally, authentic, warm, and has a bit of a swagger about them. Love it. And um, this is interesting. So give us a few of the best activities for young children in Manchester. Right. Well, bear in mind, I specialise in the naught to five space. In our app, we talk all the time about the fact that all you need is stuff that's probably in your kitchen cupboards or outside in nature to help your child have a great day and a bit of sprinkle of maybe a grown-up that loves them as well. So actually, pots and pans and boxes and leaves and sticks and all that good stuff, that's all you need. Forget all the expensive stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We used to have do stuff with egg boxes, bizarrely, yeah. back in the day. They always came in handy. What do you order at the chippy? Oh, I order chips, cheese and gravy. How gross is that? No and it looks vile. <laughs> and I only put salt on it, no vinegar, and it's amazing. So they actually do cheese at the chip? Cheesy you chips. Cheesy you order chips. cheesy chips and gravy and it's fabulous. I've not heard that. I'm going to try that. Not every chippy does it, but the chippies I go to do. Amazing. Um, so do you, which chippy do you go to? One near um, you? Yeah, one near me in Manchester. That's <laughs> yeah. brilliant. Yeah. I love that. That's my favourite chipping. <laughs> um, what do you miss most about Manchester when you're away? The warmth and the smiles and the eye contact. Again, it's not a universal thing, but I do think when you walk around Manchester and somebody's coming the other way along the road, typically you'll get at yeah. least a nod. It's so true because we, um, a lot of our London clients can't believe how that you get eye contact on yeah. the street. Yeah. They also can't believe that it can take us half an hour to walk 10 minutes <laughs> on a good day because there's, there's so many people to chat to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, brilliant. So listen, finally, legacy, which is something that we really, um, we talk about at, at Roland Ransfield. What do you feel is your purpose and what legacy do you want to leave for Greater Manchester? Possibly a couple of things. When I had my training academy, I loved taking young people that maybe hadn't done that well at school and seeing them start to believe in themselves and seeing that they began to realise they could be exceptional at something. And I absolutely loved that. And I guess it's that recruiting for values rather than qualifications. And if I can spread the word and get people to change recruitment practices that mean that young people are getting an opportunity, that really excites me. And then obviously my passion is the nought to five space and the legacy of... You know, kids allowed, I think, raise the game in um, the nursery sector. It set a new standard of this is how we do things and this is what parents should expect. And it kind of raises the game of everybody around you. But then with this app, we want to take that impact international. So, yeah, I've got fairly big inspirations about my <laughs> impact on the world. Um, but also... I want to have three happy, healthy girls, you know, my own girls. That's impact. And that carries on. If I can get that right, that'll carry on into their next generation as well. So keeping it local, the impact of having three healthy, happy girls and internationally changing how parents parent for the better for them and for the better for the children. That's a lovely way to end it. Thank you so much. It's been an inspiration speaking to you. I can't believe it's taken me 20 odd years to actually sit I in the same room. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And you're down the road and we're around the corner from each other. Well, we've got each other's up. number now. Let's we keep do. it We do. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will, will learn so much from this conversation. Thanks, okay. Jenny. Thank, Thank you. you for helping us to build this city. Thank you. Jenny Johnson built this city by rolling up her sleeves and cracking on in the workplace by thinking like a three-year-old. 
and by not getting frustrated by her nan. On the next episode of We Built This City, you'll hear from another born, bred or adopted Mancunian as I work my way towards 100 Manx that will complete this series. That episode will be available on the 14th of December. This podcast was produced by Purposeful Podcasts. If you want to build a community around your business or your brand, please do get in touch with our amazing team through our website, purposefulpodcast.com. If you'd like to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk. Or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at RDPR Tweets. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for nearly 28 years on 0161 236 1122. You can also follow our podcast Instagram page at We Built This City Pod for more content and pictures of our guests. In the meantime, don't forget to rate, review, and follow We Built This City. Thank you. Hold up. 